Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It's Draven Makova, and this is my podcast, Lessons from History. This week's episode is centers on hard work, lying, cheating, and deception. So today, with no further ado, we're going to discuss a mind-blowing achievement of humanity, air flight. The most recognizable individual related to this subject, or in this case, individuals in Lessons from History, are Orville and Wilbur Wright, often called the Wright Brothers. Many individuals had the want and plenty of money, more than the brothers uh, seem to ever have, but they had desire and ambition. The result, the creation of an aircraft that was heavier than air, yet remained in the air longer than the natural flight of a glider that was supported with an engine. The brothers achieved more than anyone else in the aircraft business at that time and for many years to follow. They had literally changed travel, trade, and warfare worldwide with the act of pursuing and mastering the initial act of flying a heavier-than-air vehicle. Wilbur Wright, the older brother, was born on April 16, 1867, near Millville, Indiana. Orville Wright, the younger brother, was born on August 19, 1871, in Dayton, Ohio. They were two of seven children in the family. Their parents were Milton Wright, a bishop in the Church of the United Brethren in Christ, and Susan Catherine Corner. In school, she excelled in mathematics and science. She spent time in her father's workshop, working with tools and solving mathematical challenges. Although it was unusual for a lady to attend college in 1853, their religion was progressive, and her father sent Susan away to attend college. The family would be centered in the state of Ohio, an adjoining state of Indiana, moving several times during their childhood. Their father traveled for his work, and they often mentioned in interviews that a small toy helicopter he gave them in 1878 would serve as a catalyst for their interest in flight. It resembled an early-day propeller and was powered by a rubber band that twirled the propeller, which substituted for a motor in this early flight model. The boys were always studying it and playing while they learned, that is, until they broke it. That did not dampen their interest. They built their own helicopter, stronger, long-lasting, and better understood. In 1889, after attending high school but never graduating, Orville built his own printing press and launched a newspaper with Wilbur's help. It was not as successful as planned. In 1892, the two opened a shop selling and repairing bicycles. By 1896, they began building their own bicycles. Meanwhile, people all over the world were experimenting with flying machines. German aviator Otto Lichtenthal made many successful flights using gliders and is recognized as the first person ever to do it. He flew from the top of a man-made hill that was built for his own purposes. The incline added to his successes. But this difference between his flying machine and that of the brothers was that his was not powered. His was only a form of a glider. The distance he flew would not be powered, rather a glide down the mountain using this steep incline to defy gravity for as long as he could. He was successful in doing this. In fact, he completed over 50 successful test flights using the glider method. But his destiny was not in the sky, but rather on the ground. On August the 10th, 1896, Otto was performing another flight test. Everything was going as planned until the glider was caught in an updraft, which lifted his glider higher off the ground. He was unable to maintain forward control, and the plane reached a height of 50 feet. 
Uh, unable to control the ascent or descent of the glider, he crashed and broke his neck upon impact. This points out a significant difference between his work and the Wright brothers. He had no control over his glider, but the Wright brothers would. At the same time, Samuel Langley, another American, was successful in making short flights with an unmanned aircraft that was powered by small steam engines. It was the work of Otto, Langley, and others that inspired the Wright brothers to learn even more about flying machines in 1899. They thought Otto had the right idea with his gliders, but when the crash took his life, they began to consider other possibilities. It was apparent they needed to develop a steering mechanism so as to maintain control and descent of their vehicle. I look at it this way. Otto's machine lacked control, making it impossible to perform a death-defying descent and landing. With this desire to discover, they watched birds fly and noticed the way they lifted their wings to change their direction in the air. This is when Wilbur constructed a huge kite to test out the brothers' new idea that twisting, or really it was warping the wings of their flying machine, would provide the same type of steering controls as the birds naturally display when in flight. As the saying goes, on the shoulders of giants, we build. Orville and Wilbur went to Kitty Hawk, North Carolina in 1900 to begin experimenting with gliders. They chose Kitty Hawk because it was known to present near-constant strong winds, as well as sandy beaches for softer landings. When they first started flying at this new location, many of the early glider tests were made while tethered by ropes flown like a kite. There were no pilots or passengers, and in the end, the gliders did what gliders do, and it was about as good as they had hoped for. And the brothers returned to Dayton, Ohio, to prepare for a future test. In 1901, after many design updates, they returned to Kitty Hawk with a modified glider, this time, they were able to travel a long flight of 400 feet, but the gliders did not perform as they had calculated. The gliders would move forward and then spin out of control. An understanding of this repetitive outcome was necessary. Returning to Ohio, the two started the design of something that would benefit them greatly, a wind tunnel. With this creation, the, the two were able to escalate their research, which would aid in the design and development of answers to many questions that would soon challenge them. One such an answer was that wing design conducted in the wind tunnel produced dozens of wing designs that could be tested without the need to return to the testing grounds. Since coming to this conclusion that wings provide lift for a vehicle, their focus on the wings did in the end produce the necessary lift for flight. The glider of 1902 produced a significant difference in control of their lift models. They also added a movable rudder, which dramatically improved their ability to steer and control their glider. After hundreds of successful glider tests, the brothers had reached a new level of flight knowledge and personal confidence, and they were able to create a powered aircraft with specifically designed propellers, and it would include a gasoline engine. On December 17, 1903, years of research, hundreds of tests, and an unfathomable number of designs and conversations would culminate in one momentous 12-second victory. Orville piloted the Wright Flyer for the first historic flight, and although it lasted only seconds and traveled a mere 120 feet while reaching only 10 feet off the ground, their goal had been achieved. The Wright brothers had produced the first successfully piloted heavier-than-air vehicle under its own power. Filled with excitement and satisfaction, there were only a few people present to witness the brothers' success. On the memorable date, the brothers actually flew four flights, alternating the pilot for each flight. Orville was the first to fly into history. 
Wilbur flew the second flight 12 seconds at a distance of 175 feet. Orville piloted the third flight, covering 200 feet in 15 seconds. Personally, I believe the fourth flight by Wilbur was probably not expected. He flew 852 feet in 59 seconds. Telling you this while trying to picture it, I'm actually getting goosebumps on my arms and, and back. The world had been changed forever. There were other planned flights attempts for that date, but after the fourth flight, and while in excited discussion of their accomplishments, a strong wind gust caught the right flyer and flipped it, damaging it beyond immediate repair. But for humanity, the first successful day of flying a manned, powered plane had ended in success. Now, in spite of being intelligent and renowned in the field of flight, the brothers were quick to resend a telegram to their father, proud as they were, to make him aware of the momentous occasion. I have not found evidence of it, but I can imagine their pride in finally being able to tell their father they had done it. As successes came their way, the brothers opened their own company, the Wright Company. Continuing with their research, testing, and sales, it was not long before they were offering a new type of application in flight, cargo delivery. All of these notable points and dates bring to mind something I discovered in my research. The U.S. Army was interested in purchasing the Wright's plane for military use. So on September the 10th, 1908, the two met with several dignitaries in order to provide demonstrations of the flying machine. On that day, one flight was made with the first ever passenger, Lieutenant Frank D. Lom. Two days later, a second flight was made, which included another passenger. On September the 17th, Lieutenant Thomas Selfridge became the third passenger to fly. This flight had an increase of weight. Selfridge weighed the most of the three passengers. He weighed in at 175 pounds. But Selfridge carried a more dubious mark in history. He was the first person to die in a plane crash. Orville piloted the plane around the parade grounds at about 150 feet height. Orville would report later that he heard a couple big bumps, and then the plane began to shake. In an attempt to regain control of the plane, he cut the engines and hoped to glide to the ground. But after about 75 feet off the ground, there was a different sound, and moments later, Suffrage was heard uttering, Oh, oh. Moments later, the plane fell to the ground. Wright received a broken leg, cut his head, and many bruises. Suffrage received similar cuts and bruises, along with a fractured skull from which he did not survive. Later, it was revealed that one of the propellers had fallen off the plane. Patents, patent battles, mistrust, and legacy. Now, through their pursuit of flying, the brothers were mired in doubts and claims in both reputation and patent battles. The arguments over who was the first to fly and who had the right to say it, and who owned the patent rights to use the different designs, and who could use their creation of devices used in planes, would never stop. There was even a battle over where the right flyer would later be displayed. The battles were not just with the people such as Otto and Samuel Langley, but with the governments of the United States and France. In 1902, the brothers were successful in controlling the right flyer on all three axes of flight, pitch, roll, and yaw. They were not only moving the plane through the air like a glider, but the main control of the flying machine, controlling the roll of the plane using wing warping and yaw control using a rear rudder. Many others had worked for this kind of control, but they either glided from high elevations or used catapults to bring their flying machine into the air. The Wright Flyer was unique in all three aspects of flight. In 1904, they hired Ohio patent attorney Henry Tomlin, and on May the 22nd, 1906, 
Almost four years after the initial flights, they were granted U.S. Patent 821,393 for a flying machine. The patent specifically states wing warping as an application control the flying machine, powered or not. But it also states that other methods of control would be included. Later ailerons would be used to modify the angle of the wings and the aforementioned wing warping while in flight. During the patent wars, the brothers held to the belief that anyone creating planes owed them for their initial work in discovery, their basic technique of controlling a flying machine. I have read it so many times while researching the discovery of flight that I want to be sure to share that as soon as the Wright brothers announced their achievement, it seemed as if everyone who had been chasing the method of flight suddenly discovered the method. Even the New York Times noted this in 1910 when it published that it is, quote, a highly significant fact that until the Wright brothers succeeded, all attempts with heavier-than-air machines were dismal failures. But since they showed that the thing could be done, everyone seems to be able to do it. Patent Wars and Lawsuits Suddenly, there were more than 10 lawsuits. In 1908, the Wrights accused and threatened Curtis to stop using their designs. He refused and designed a plane and sold it, which of course was followed by the Wrights filing suit. They also sued the Aeronautic Society of New York in 1909, and suits were even filed against pilots who were part of air shows in the United States, along with a well-known French aviator, Louis Pallon. In 1910, the brothers' planes won no awards in design or flying competitions, which caused many to think this year was the beginning of the end for their careers. In the Wright's judgment, the future of flight would be in biplane designs. They also became mired in what appears to have been self-absorption for the Wrights believed that any plane designed or flown after their initial discoveries were an infringement on their claims of ownership. I believe that it was in this, this mindset that poisoned their efforts to create anew. And in the end, they refused to believe that wooden single propeller planes would be successful, but rather the Wrights believed that the bi-propeller planes would be the future. And we all know they were wrong. In fact, during all the legal issues and fights over ownership, World War I began on July 28, 1914. It lasted for about four years. Leading up to the war, the United States and its allies wanted to have planes as a method of war. But with the lawsuits in place, neither the Wrights or Curtis were producing planes, which led to the United States buying planes from France. And it would later be discovered that an attempt was made by Glenn Curtis and the Smithsonian Institute to discredit the Wright brothers. This interesting revelation during the early days of flight were, in effect, an effort centered on supporting an old friend of Smithsonian Institute, Samuel Langley, who I mentioned before was a competitor of the brothers in the early days of flight attempts. But he was not successful. In fact, he failed a flight attempt only eight days prior to the brothers' success at Kitty Hawk. I must note that Langley also served as a previous head of the Smithsonian Institute. Deception in an attempt to help Samuel Langley gain notoriety and discredit the rights, the then head of the Smithsonian Institute, Charles Walcott, plotted with Glenn Curtis to secretly and extensively modify Langley's 1903 aerodrome. That was his aircraft's name. Langley then demonstrated in 1914 that it could fly. With this dastardly effort, the Smithsonian Institute endorsed the false statement that, quote, Professor Samuel P. Langley had actually designed and built the first man-carrying flying machine capable of sustained flight. At that time, Walcott 
order of the plane modified by Curtis so as to be returned to its original 1903 condition before going on display at the Smithsonian to cover up the deception. So, basically, he changed it, he made it where it could fly, then he changed it back to what it was in 1903, which we know couldn't fly. In 1915, a few years after Wilbur's untimely death, Orville sold the Wright Company. Retiring from flight, he spent decades serving on committees and the board of such groups as Aeronautical Chamber of Commerce and the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics. In 1928, the Smithsonian Board of Regents reversed its decision and acknowledged that the Wright brothers deserved the credit for the first flight. But by that time, Orville had shared the Wright Flyer with England, where it remained on display. You see, the Smithsonian wouldn't display it, and so England took it. In 1944, more than 40 years after that first famous flight and the opportunity to see their discovery and creations develop, Orville Wright had his last trip in a plane. It was a Lockheed Constellation, a far cry from the original Wright Flyer. Before Orville died of a heart attack on January 30th, 1948, at the age of 76, he decided to move the Wright Flyer back to the United States. But it would not be until almost a year later, on December 17, 1948, that the first plane to fly was returned to the Smithsonian Institute. In fact, that day marked the 45th year to the day that the plane had its inaugural flight at Kitty Hawk. When Orville died, he was buried in Dayton, Ohio, in the same plot as his brother. I've got a lot of thoughts on all this. Deception, lying, cheating, governments, cover-up. Sounds familiar to anything else we've seen in our lifetimes. My thoughts. I want to make special note that, that Wilbur Wright died on May the 30th, 1912, never knowing that the brothers were later vindicated and rightfully recognized as the first to achieve flight of a heavier-than-air flying machine. And because of this lie and misdirection as a personal attack on the Wright brothers, he never lived to see the one recognition that I believe would have been the ultimate, being recognized by their own country. But the brothers were just ordinary men, not backed by corporate uh, money or governmental finances and support like many other people pursuing the flight, such as Glenn Curtis and Samuel P. Langley. With all that is said, it is apparent that the Wright brothers were the first to achieve powered manned flight of a heavier-than-air flying machine. And it is apparent they were able to do this with the cards stacked against their success. First, there was the theory and ability to fly, and then the patent battles over their legacy and the right to own their own creations. In the end, neither married nor had children, and after the initial flights, spent all their time protecting their legal rights to the income from their discovery and inventions. To show they were in the first in flight, I want to share a telltale sign of their success. The Wright brothers never lost a legal battle. For me, this is an amazing thing they did. And they did it with their own inventions, their own creations, their own thoughts. Mostly, it was their own money until things started to move along and their successes. Amazing, amazing things. I just, when, the, when I read more about this story, then... To be able to do it against all the cards that were stacked against them, the lying, the cheating, misleading, uh, even the story about the Smithsonian Institute. It's just an amazing thing that it was such a cover-up, but yet it was able to come out. I don't think the truth always comes out. And so I'm sure we all know that as well from things we see in our own lives. But I'm glad this did. They deserved it. But when you think about it, 
One never saw the recognition for being the first people that did it. The other that did live didn't even see it back in America. All because of lying, cheating, deception. Amazing. It's an amazing story. I'm glad I looked into it. I'm, I'm glad I researched it. And I'm glad I got to share it with you. Well, this is Draven Makova for Lessons from History. I'm going to sign out now, but come back again. I'll look for something interesting that we can share together. Have a good day. I'm out of here.